as Russ brings today's word. Dan's only here on a residency pastor here, so all of this is going down towards the evaluation of his future. <laughs> no, it's so great to see you here this morning. Who would get your Bibles out, because we're doing this kind of little mini-series that we do every year at this time that we call Legacy, and, and this is one of my favorite things that we do all year round, because I think this is something that's inside of every one of us, that we want to make a difference in life, and and I've been saying this over the last couple of weeks, this is the last message of this series before we hit feature presentation, which by the way, is one of the great series that we do that really is intended for you to bring a friend, to bring a neighbor, to bring somebody that maybe has never been to church before because we're using things that are culturally relevant, that is the, what's going on in the theaters, and, and really being able to connect what God's Word says about different things that are of interest into our, our society here today. But but um, this series that we're doing here, this legacy series, when you think about it, um, the goal in life is not to live forever, everybody. That's, I, I know you may want to think that way, but really the goal in life is to leave something that does, to leave a legacy. And so in December, we do something around here where we take a special offering. It's above and beyond all the other offerings that we do that we call a legacy offering. And this year is December 9th. And the reason why we talk about it so early, and so we're six weeks away, but the reason why we do this is because as your pastor, I don't ever want you to feel pressured. I don't ever want you to feel like you're being, um, you, you, you have something that you're having to do under some sort of compulsion or you're feeling forced to do something. And so that's why we're announcing the six weeks out and so that you can take these next six weeks to be praying about, to be thinking about it. And as a family, maybe even talk about what can you do to start setting things aside and um, to be able to give towards this because we do one special offering during the Christmas season that's all about legacy where we as a church are able to take one giant step forward into what God has called us to do. And I've been sharing these stories over the last several weeks, and you're going to see some of these in the feature presentations, some of the things that happened through our, our legacy time last year. But I've been talking to you that one of the things that I was just so amazed about is not only was the giving incredible, but then as, we, as a result, we were able to bless so many people in our community. And, and I shared this last couple of weeks that one of the things that we did is that we surprised all the teachers and staff up at West Cypress Elementary School, and we gave each one $150 for Christmas just as a way to say thank you. And all of you who are educators, all of you who are in that profession or retired from that profession, you know how hard our teachers work and how they tend to be underpaid. And it was just such a fun thing to come on your behalf and to say, hey, we just, as a church, we want to bless you. We want to thank you for all that you have done. And, and that's such a wonderful thing. You'll see a lot of videos of that in the next couple of weeks. Uh, we also did, if you weren't around here this last spring, we did uh, an amazing extreme makeover of the Little Country Diner right at the top of the hill, and which was a lot of fun. Not only was money given towards that, but a lot of sweat and and the hard work was done. We just went up there um, after church on, on a Sunday in the spring and completely worked the entire day outside and inside um, doing this makeover for the Little Country Diner and just blessing the owners, just coming alongside of a, a local business and saying, we just want to bless you. We're so grateful that you are here. As well with a legacy offering, we were able to purchase a van and a bus for our youth ministry to move people around and all the things that we do as three campuses and getting kids to camps and all those types of things. As well, you're going to, as Dan just mentioned, we, we purchased the, the coffee trailer that's going to, you're going to be able to have a taste of that here this afternoon for the 
very first time, and it'll be open Monday through Saturday, um, coming up here in November, just as soon as all the licensing is done, and just as a way to bless our community. I've said this over the last couple weeks, we don't have any coffee in this area, and so it's about time that we can be a blessing to our community and provide some coffee uh, for the Hill Country here. As well, one of the things that we have as a church that we have as our mission is to, is to really plant churches in this whole Austin area, and so we put a lot of money towards our next church plant. And so as we're looking at this year's legacy offering, we're going to continue to put money into church planting. We, we have in the works a, a church plant that we're looking to, to launch here in 2019, as well as um, we're going to be doing things again in our community here in the Spicewood and Briarcliff and the Lake Travis area. We're going to be coming alongside of a lot of people and a lot of groups, and I've asked you over the last several weeks to begin to dream about it. What could God do with us as we come together? How can we be a blessing? How can we serve our community? And so there's a lot of emails we're already getting in terms of your ideas, and there's obviously a lot of people in need, and so we just want to be a blessing to our community. That's what this is all about. And, and so December 9th is when we're going to take the offering. People have been asking, can we give before? Can we give after? Absolutely, yes. We just designate one Sunday where we kind of make a big deal of it, but we'll be starting just a add to that fund through the rest of the year. And as I mentioned, I think this is just one of my favorite things that we do as a church. I love what happens within the four walls of our church, but to be honest, I love more what we do outside of the four walls of this church. I love what's happening here today, just being a blessing to our community. It was a really special thing when we did this for the very first one um, two, two years ago, so this is our third one here. And so I love coming alongside of businesses and alongside of our teachers and, and just being a blessing to our community. Proverbs 11, 11 says that through the blessing of the righteous, a city is exalted. And so that is our responsibility. That is your responsibility to bless, to speak blessing as well as to be a blessing. And I just think there's something in every single one of us that we get it. We want to live our lives beyond ourselves. It's the essence of what legacy is, that we want our family to maybe have a different reputation. You know, we want to change the trajectory of our lives, and we really want to make a difference for eternity. So let me give you a definition again for legacy, because legacy is something such as a tradition or a problem that exists as a result of something that happened in the past. It's also something that someone has achieved that continues to exist after they stop working or die. And so the reality is, is that you will leave a legacy. One way or another, every single one of us, you're, we're going to leave a legacy. The only question is, what will your legacy be? That's really the question. And I think it's just so important for us to think and to dream beyond ourselves and not just be consumed just right here and right now. And so what, how will your life be remembered after you are gone? That's the essence of what legacy is. If you have your Bible, you can turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Um, or you can follow along on the screen, or if you were here last week, we mentioned that on the Tithely app, if you want to download that, all, this, all the notes for um, this morning's um, message are right there. You can follow along there if you um, find us there. So 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9, it says, People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. In other words, Apostle Paul is talking about this aspect that it's so easy for us to have a wrong perspective of money. 
Um, money is one of those things that a lot of us don't want to talk about. We, we don't want to talk about it with our friends. We don't want to talk with our neighbors. And specifically, we don't want to talk about it at church. But when you look at your Bible, it's interesting because it's one of the number one topics that God talks about. Because he knows the issue of money affects us. And when we have a wrong perspective of money, it creates all sorts of temptations and traps and evils and destructions and griefs in our life. And ultimately, if you end up having a wrong perspective of money, it will diminish, if not completely destroy, any sort of positive legacy in your life. Jesus said it this way, Luke chapter 12, verse 34. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so this issue of money and how money resides in our hearts is enormous. Because it will end up affecting every aspect of our life, including our legacy. And so this morning, I want to specifically talk about this issue of money and how it resides in our heart. I, I want to talk first about, just in terms of a standpoint of our, our, our financial planning, but then I want to kind of look beyond the numbers and really God's perspective on all of this. And so first of all, when we look at money and the management of our finances, the first thing that financial planners will talk to you about is your earning. You're earning. And so if you were to go to um, my wife, Courtney, who is a CFP, if you were to go to her and try to figure out what your finances are doing and how to do all of that, um, so one of the first things she would ask you is just about your earnings. And earnings is obviously the, th the money that comes in into our life. And so if you don't have any money in your life, there's nothing to manage, okay? And so in case you didn't realize, you've got to work in order to have an income of money. And I know in our culture today, that might be shocking to some of you, but you actually have to work to have income come into your life, and then you'll have to raise your, your, your income in order to have some margin in your life. So that's the first thing that financial planners will talk to you about. The second thing that financial planners will talk to you about is your spending. Your spending, in other words, what then goes out of your pocket. And it's interesting that statistics show that 90% of Americans don't have a budget. And so the vast majority of us, we have absolutely no idea where the money's going. It's coming out of our pockets some way, somehow, but we have no idea where it's going or how it's leaving us. And so by the end of the month, the vast majority of us, we're having to look in our sofa to see if we can find some extra change or in our car places and see, in order just to kind of pay the last bills of the month. And so spending is the second thing that financial planners will talk to you about. The third thing that financial planners will talk to you about is then your saving. Your saving. And this is not just a financial issue, it's also a biblical issue. In Proverbs chapter 21, verse 20, it says, In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all he has. And so the Bible actually says, don't spend all that you have. <laughs> Change your habits. Don't just spend everything that comes into your house. But yet, when you look at statistics, the average American spends 136% of what comes into their household, 136%. So if, you're, if you don't understand your math, that means that you're spending more than comes in. Everybody get that? That's the average American is spending that type of way. And so we have to learn how to not spend so much. We have to learn how to live within our limits, and we have to learn how to save. And then the fourth thing that financial planners will talk to you about is you're investing. And you're investing. Because when you're investing, now you're not just working for money. 
Now your money is working for you. You're putting money aside for the purpose of letting it grow. And then the last thing the financial planners will talk to you about is your giving. Your giving. And the average American gives 3% of their income away. The average American does. The average American Christian gives 3.8% of their giving away. And if you read your Bible, you know that's a little bit of discrepancy from what God tells us to do. But these are the numbers. And these numbers really work. I could probably spend a whole series just talking to you about the management of our finances. And if we would learn how to do these things, it would really help us. And so I want to encourage you to work on these numbers. But if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, there's more to it. There's a bigger picture here that's going on because there's more than, the, than just the natural that works in our lives. You have to also deal with the spiritual and the supernatural. I say this all the time, that you're not a human being who's trying to have these temporary spiritual experiences, but you are a spiritual being, and this is simply a temporary human experience that you're having. And so we have to understand there's a whole other environment that's happening around us. And, and so we follow a God who has principles that go beyond the natural, that go beyond these numbers. Look at this in Haggai chapter 1, verse 7. It says, now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Your careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but have harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Now, how many of you can attest that that's how it feels in times? You earn stuff, and it goes into your pocket, but somehow it just disappears. Any of you know what I'm talking about here? And so what God is saying is, okay, we need to pay careful attention to how we're living our life. And so I want you to do that. I want you to think about what's going on in your life and how you're living your life. Because could it be that there's another way? Could it be that, there's, that God actually has principles for us to live that go beyond the natural, that go beyond these numbers? The Apostle Paul, he said it this way in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 20. He says, where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Whereas the philosopher of this age has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world. And so God has a way of doing things that go beyond the natural and go beyond the numbers. And so where the world says that you just need to earn more money, God's principle deals with the issue of calling versus compensation. Calling versus compensation. In other words, at the end of the day, how much money you make is not what's going to fulfill you. I don't know if you realize that, but how much money you make is not really going to fulfill you. What's going to fulfill you is if you found out what you're created for, if you've actually discovered the call that God has on your life, because there's absolutely nothing like knowing that you're doing exactly what you're called to do. There's no more greater fulfillment than knowing that you're doing exactly what God has called you to do. And that's the higher God principle, God principle here. It's not chasing the almighty dollar. It's really chasing the call of God on your life. And if you haven't heard me talk about this before, let me say it again, that this is really what Catalyst is all about. Catalyst is our internal discipleship program. And, and I keep on saying this, that if you haven't gone through Catalyst, Please sign up in January to start Catalyst. It's um, broken in three different parts. And in Catalyst, chat, in Catalyst 2, we take the time to intentionally look and ask, ask the question, what is God's purpose for your life? 
when he created you, what did he intend all along? Because purpose, if you don't understand the purpose of a thing, you're going to end up doing things that will go against it. And you'll end up destroying and going against the purpose that God created for you. And so if you haven't gone through Catalyst yet, let me encourage you to do that. Because the key to life is not how much you accumulate, everybody. The key to life is not how much you accumulate, but how much you fulfill the call and the purpose that God has for your life. That's where true fulfillment comes from. And that's why the real question is not how much money do you need to live on. The real question is what are you living for? That's the important question for our life. The Apostle Paul, he said it this way in Acts chapter 20, verse 24. He says, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God, to the gospel of God's grace. And so here's what I want you to think about, because God has a race for you as well. There is a purpose for your life. And on that day, that day that we stand before God, I do believe that God's going to ask you, did you fulfill your purpose? You can live a life, but did you fulfill your purpose? You have a race to finish And it's all attached to the call that God has on your life. And so that's why God's principle deals with calling versus compensation. And then where the world says that you just need to control your spending, God's principle deals with the issue of contentment versus consumerism. Contentment versus consumerism. And here's what's so hard about this. Because we live in a culture that just wants more. We're not satisfied with what we have. I want more, and I want it now. Now, everybody, you're sitting in church. You're sitting in church, so remember where you're, where you're sitting here. But let me ask you a question. How many of you, how many of you bought some lottery tickets this last week? Let me see your hands. Oh, yes, you don't, you don't lie in church, right? We don't, we, we don't lie in church. There were 370 million tickets that were bought this last week. Why? Because the prize was $1.6 billion, <laughs> right? It's $1.6 billion, and so there's 370 million tickets. So why do we feel compelled to buy a lottery ticket, even though the chances of you winning is like Mike, Mike he winning the gold medal at the Olympics. That's, that's the same chance <laughs> as if... But yet, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Somebody's got to win, right? And you can't win if you don't buy a ticket. That's the logic with it, with it all. Which is fun. All that is fun. I, I, please don't hear me wrong. But there's something inside of us that we just want more. And the idea of having $1.6 billion land in our lap would solve a lot of problems. That's how we think. But here's the thing that's so important for us to understand because why so many of us tend to get stuck in consumerism is because we lose the spiritual value of contentment. It gets lost, and I think as Americans, it's one of the hardest things that we we get drug along in this consumerism more and more and more and more, keeping up with Joneses, and of course, I want $1.6 billion. Who wouldn't want that? But as a result of this drive of wanting more, we lose the spiritual value of contentment. Jesus said in Luke 12, verse 15, he says, don't always be wishing for what you don't have, everybody. 
For real life and real living are not related to how rich you are. In fact, if you look at statistics, the people who are the happiest in the world are those who actually don't have much. Because the more you have, the more worries and stress usually comes with all of that. The Apostle Paul, he said it this way in Philippians 4 verse 12. He says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And so what's the secret? What's the secret of living our lives that way? Well, the secret is recognizing that in every situation you find yourself in, you're actually blessed. You're already blessed no matter what situation you're actually in because contentment is not the fulfillment of what you want. But contentment is the realization of what you already have. Anybody say amen to that, everybody? That's what contentment is. And I think so many of us, we're just constantly, I want, I want, I want, I want. But the spiritual value of contentment is the realization of what you already have. And then the word, when the world says that you just need to save, God's principle deals with the issue of being God-dependent versus independent. So where, where the world's telling you to save, God's principle deals with this issue of being God-dependent versus independent. In other words, what can so easily happen to every single one of us is that we start looking at our savings account as our answer. We start looking at our savings account as our security. And so even though savings is a biblical principle, it's so easy to fall into this trap of independence where you're looking at savings as the source of your security. Solomon said this in Proverbs 18, verse 11. He says, the wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it a wall to high to scale. And so he's talking about, it's just again, this issue, it's just so easy to start looking at our savings accounts and our investments that we've made as our source of security and safety. But notice how Solomon describes our wealth. He says, the wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it. A wall too high to scale. In other words, it's actually just this imaginary fortress that we put into our lives. We have this idea that we think because I have all this money in my savings account, because I have all of these investments, that I'm good. I'm good to go. All's well. But what Solomon is describing is that all of that actually is imaginary. Why? Because money in and of itself can never create security in your life. Only God can give you that source of security because at any time it can all go just like that. It is so wispy. Our economy is so wispy. And so if we put our trust in that, no matter how much you have there, even if you're doing things right, it can still just go. And so if, we, if our security, our safety is placed there, what happens when it disappears? That's what he's talking about here. And so that's why we need to live a life of trust where we're trusting God to take care of us. And what's so interesting about this, statistically speaking, the demographic that gets this more than all other demographics across the world are the poor. The poor of the world actually get this more than any other demographic. Statistics um, prove that the percentage of giving per income is actually highest with the poor, with those who have less income. Why? 
The reality is because they know the little that I have is not going to make that much difference, and so I'm willing just to share what I have. That tends to be the mentality of those who have less. Courtney and I, we were in Poland just a, a few months ago, and, and like I, if you were here when I shared the whole story of us being there, um, this is my first time back in 25 years. I, I lived over there 25 years ago, and, and how it's changed from a second world country to an emerging first world nation, and how it looks like now looks so much more like um, the rest of Europe and beauty and, and tourism. And, and so you can just see the economy beginning to thrive, but there still is a lot of lack even in that. And, and our friends who pastor a church there that I, I started, um, Marek and Sophia are their names. You're actually going to get to know them in February. We're, we just bought their tickets yesterday, and we're flying them here for the month of February to give them a sabbatical. And so you'll meet them in February. And they're, they're amazing at people. And they're an example of this, of not having hardly anything, but yet sharing everything that they have. And one of my most frustrating moments was after a service that I, I spoke at in, in a church, um, I met three Americans that came that were there in Poland. They were traveling in Poland and Ukraine. And what they were doing is that they were trying to set up connections within the nation of Poland and Ukraine to start these kind of soccer ministries. So using soccer as a way to communicate the gospel. So doing soccer camps and all these type of things. Fantastic organization. Wonderful idea. And so they were traveling all over the, the country um, trying to find connections to be able to do such a thing. And so I met them after service that day. It was the World Cup while we were there. And they wanted to go watch one of the games that was playing there that evening. And, and so Mark and Sophie were telling that there was this pizzeria slash bar that was playing the game. And so why don't we all go over there? So the seven of us, after church, we drove over to this pizzeria and bar that was playing, playing the, 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 the game there on the big, the big screens there. And like you'd normally do, we ordered a bunch of pizzas and a bunch of different drinks and things, and, and we ate and, and just kind of interacted through the entire game. Well, as, the, as it was finishing up and everybody was beginning to leave, the waiter brought the bill to Mark and Zofia, because they're the ones who were speaking Polish, none of us speak Polish, and so they brought the, the bill to them, and I was watching this all happen. Because remember, it was this th these three businessmen who had arranged all of this. But yet when the bill came, they did nothing to intercept the bill for Mark and Sophia. So Mark and Sophia went over to the counter and were beginning trying to figure out how they were going to pay for this. Now, I don't know how much money either of these men made, but I can guarantee you they all made a lot more than Mark and Sophia did. But out of the willingness of, their, of Mark and Sophia's heart, they were going to figure out a way to sacrifice even more to pay for all of us. Courtney and I thankfully saw it all happen, and so we jumped up and we ended up paying for the bill. But I left that situation so mad, so, so mad that these three Americans were so self-consumed that they were willing to let people who have far less pay for that meal. And I thought, you know what, people, we need to have a heart that no matter what we are, that we are giving and I'm telling you, the people who have less than will be more quick to sacrifice than maybe you or me who have more. And we need to change that in our, in our dynamic. Proverbs 30, verse 8 and 9 says, Give me neither poverty nor riches, 
give me only my daily bread, otherwise I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Where I may become too poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. I just think this is actually incredible wisdom that's being spoken here because it reminds us that we need to constantly have our dependency on God and not on our income or our savings account or in our investments, which then brings me to the next area in the area of investing because God's principle deals with stewardship versus ownership. Stewardship versus ownership. Because as a follower of Jesus, you're not investing what you have to grow. That's not what's happening here. Because you're investing what belongs to God with God's interests in mind. That's what a steward does. A steward is someone who manages something that belongs to somebody else based upon their priorities. Not your priorities, but their priorities. And that's why the greatest piece of financial advice I can ever give you and I come from a financial background. I have an international business degree. My wife's a CFP. We come from this financial background, but the greatest piece of financial advice I could ever give you is that you have to absolutely settle this issue that God owns everything and you're just a steward. You're just a manager of what he has put into your hands. And I'm telling you something, when you really get this, I mean, when you get it down deep inside of you, that you're just a manager of this stuff, that God has blessed you and put things in your hands and you're just to manage this, it will radically change your life. Because when you come and, you know, as Cynthia described, when as we give our tithes and offerings and worship, when you give your tithes, that's not the only thing that belongs to the Lord when you give that on a Sunday. When you give your offerings, it's not just your offerings that belong to the Lord. Everything belongs to God. And our response is just to manage it as he tells us to manage according to his priorities. I'm to be a good steward of what he's put into my hands and then invest that into eternal principles. Jesus said in Matthew 6, verse 19 and 20, he says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. It's a good question to ask ourselves, is that what I'm doing? Am I just storing up treasures here on earth? Is that how I'm living my life? Do not store up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. And so this life is just so short. It goes by just so fast. And so that's why we have to intentionally do things to invest as much as we can into things that are eternal. Jesus goes on to say in Matthew 13, verse 44, he says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. In other words, when you discover what really matters in life, you're going to want to spend your life investing in that. And then in the area of giving, this last area of giving, financial planners will talk to you about that, that once, if there's anything left over, after you've done your spending, all your expenses, after your savings, after your investments, if there's anything left over, then it might be good for you to be benevolent. But God's principles deals with the issue of being generous versus miserly. Being generous versus miserly. Acts 20 verse 35 says, The Lord Jesus himself said it's more blessed to give than to receive. That word blessed, I mentioned this last week, is the word makarios, which means giddy, happy, fired up about it. And I don't know if you've seen this, but boy, I've seen it all over the world. That the happiest people I know 
are those people who are givers. People who just love to give, love to share. I love to be around people like that, don't you? Nobody else loves to be around a giver? I love to be around a giver, you know? It's so, there's so much life that happens with people who are givers. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, the Apostle Paul, he's telling Timothy, who is his apostolic protege, he's telling Timothy to tell the people in the churches in Ephesus and Crete to do this very thing, to do good and to be generous, to not be miserly. And he says this in verse 17. So he says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good and to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. Hey, everybody, do good. Be generous. When you come back to Faltover this afternoon, why don't you buy a bunch more of those food tickets and hand them out to different people that you meet. When you go out to eat this week, leave a big tip. Just bless, overly bless your waitress this week. I was talking with, who was I talking Teresa, I was talking, Teresa, um, she was saying that on, on Facebook, there all these people were talking about different ones who were just doing acts of kindness this week. Good job, everybody. Continue to do it. Pay for, pay for other people. You know, and you're, when you're getting your groceries, just make it, you're going to pay for the person right behind you. Um, pay for somebody else's coffee. Pay for somebody's in, in the drive-up line. Just do good. Be generous. One of the things I love about my dad, I, he's done this as long as I've ever, uh, that I remember, he carries in his wallet a $100 bill. And the reason why he has that $100 bill is he's constantly looking for who the next person he is who's going to give that $100 bill to. And he just listens to the Holy Spirit no matter where he is. He never spends that $100 bill, and it may be, you know, maybe a week or two before he actually gives it. But he's constantly looking at who the Holy Spirit would stir in his heart to give that $100 bill. Be generous, everybody. Do good. And then look at what happens when you do that. Verse 19. In this way, they'll lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Listen, folks, the value of life is not determined by how much you achieve or how much you accumulate. The value of life is determined by how much of your life you actually give away. And when you live your life this way, not only does it add so much joy to your life in the here and now, but you'll be investing in something that's actually internal, that lives beyond you, and that's when you'll be living this life beyond the numbers. If you would, I want you to just close your eyes here, if you would, please. And I want you to think about anybody else or how anybody else is doing. I just want you to think about yourself here because remember that scripture in Haggai, God is saying, consider your ways. Consider your ways. Are you just living your life just by the natural, just by the numbers? Or are you actually holding money, this issue of money, in an internal perspective. And so, Father, I pray for every single one of us here this morning that, God, you would put your finger on these issues and these things in our life that maybe we're just off kilter, maybe we're just off just a little bit, or maybe they're really off, and we're just living it for ourselves. We're so, cons we're so bought up into consumerism that we've completely lost the spiritual value of contentment where we've just been living our lives for ourselves versus 
being actually generous people. Lord, you've said over and over in your word that you bless us so that we in turn can be a blessing. And so, Father, I pray for each one of us here today that, Lord, that we would first and foremost let go of control, that we'd let go of control of how we think things should be done, how we think things should be handled in regards to our finances and our wish lists and our wants. That, God, that we would bring you in on this, that we would truly see you as the one who owns it all, that we're just managers, that we're just stewards, that, Father, that you would work your principles inside of our hearts. We're going to take communion here together. And, and the Bible describes for us that, that whenever we gather together, that we're to do this in remembrance of him. And it's just another moment of surrender. It's another moment of letting go. It's another moment in a very practical, tangible, physical way of putting Jesus first in your life. And so maybe this morning, it's just way off kilter for you. Maybe where Jesus is in your life is just kind of something you add to and but he's not really the one that's over all in your life. Would you hear in this moment, just with your own mouth and with your own heart, would you just adjust that priority? Would you just surrender? Just surrender your life, your hopes, your dreams, surrender what you have, surrender your finances, your resources, your belongings, car, your truck, your house, just surrender all those things, surrender your relationships, surrender your future. There's a word in the Bible, it's called consecration, and that word simply means to let go of. And so, would you consecrate what's in your life? Could you just put your hands out in front of you? Just put them, just reach them out with your hands and just put them right in front of you. And, and I want you to think about maybe what's in your hand. I want you to think about maybe what you're holding on to tightly. You know, maybe it's a relationship you're, you're holding on to tightly. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's your future. Maybe it's some sort of financial situation whether it's a want, a need, or a problem, what is it that you're holding tightly in your hands? And then right here in this moment, would you just make a decision to let go, to consecrate, to release, to no longer hold on to? And then as you're making that decision, just open up your fists and just release that. Release that thing. Release that person. Release that future. Just let go. Just let go of that. And so, Father, as we do this just in a very physical way, Father, would you work that deeply in our own hearts of surrender, to let go, to release these things? And then as you take communion here, let that just be another layer saying, okay, Jesus, I'm putting you above all this other stuff. I'm surrendering my life anew and afresh. 
I'm recognizing that you are the owner of it all. And I'm just a steward, and I'm asking you, how then do you want me to live my life? What do you want me to do with this? What do you want me, how do you want me to respond and act? How do you want me to manage your finances and manage these resources, manage these decisions? As you take community together, just, just let that be your act of putting Jesus above it all. We celebrate open communion here at One Chapel, which means you don't have to be a member here of this church. We believe this is something that Jesus sets up for us. And so if you're a believer in Lord Jesus Christ, I invite you to participate with this. And if you're not, maybe this is your moment of making that decision. This is not something anybody else can make for you. This is your moment to do it yourself. And the Bible says very clearly that if we'll just confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. In other words, I'm speaking and I'm believing that Jesus is who he says he is. The Bible describes that as we make that confession, that then there's salvation, there's born again, your spirit comes alive, and there's a connection between you and God. And now that's when the adventure happens. That's when the excitement happens of you following him, listening to his voice, hearing his voice as he leads you. And so there are two stations up in front, one for each of the sections here. And so what we'll do in just a second, we'll start in the front row. You'll exit from your right. You'll come up here and get a piece of bread, dip it in the juice, and then come back in on the outside of there. And we'll start from the front to the back. And so if you would stand up to your feet and let's do this together. As I was just standing here, finishing up as I was praying, I felt like there are there's some of you here that there's some things that the, the, the picture I had was just that it, it, they're kind of clogged up. There's some things that are clogged up in your life. Um, and I think that may be a lot of different things is what I think in my head, but I just want to speak it that way, that there, you, you feel you feel like there's some things that are just clogged up for you. Our ministry team is going to just hang out here because I want them to be able to release something to break through what it is that's clogged up for you. So if, you, if there's something that's clogged up, I want you to be able to respond to that. And because the ministry team are here to release as well as to stand against things that would try to really war against you. And, and so that's what they'll just stick around here to do that. Um, also, if this is your first time or if you're new around here, make sure you fill out one of these little connection cards. And if you'll take it up to the top of the ramp, we want to make sure we get you one of our One Chapel coffee mugs as well. As well, um, we're having our five-minute party, so it's 10.57, so at 11.02, we will start the five-minute party. It's literally five minutes. You listen to me for five minutes. If you have kids, you can just keep them up there. They'll take care of you. And we have some Topo Chico's and some other Cokes and things there, um, some goodies for you. It's just kind of, we just want to connect with you, with some of our uh, leaders. And so that's just right at the top of the ramp there to your right. You'll see signs for that um, as well. It's Falltober, everybody, and so please come back, enjoy. God's provided us a wonderful weekend, first weekend in eight weeks that it hasn't rained. So I, I, I don't know that we can take any credit for that at all, but I'm just so grateful for God's blessing that we can have a great afternoon and evening here together and not worry about rain and, 
It's Texas weather, so come and enjoy. Meet people, interact with the community. There'll be about 1,500 people here on, on this campus. And so jump in, plug in, help as you can. Be generous in all that you do. Let me just take a blessing over you here as we leave. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and now give you peace. Go in peace, everyone. Have a great day. We'll see you in a little bit. God bless you.